if you go and do something and you don't succeed, what is the, you know, what, what is the worst that can happen? You know, you don't succeed. Okay. We just go and do something else. It's kind of, it's that thought around, like, don't, don't deselect yourself before you've even given the opportunity to, to give it a go. You know, don't rule yourself out of a job or, you know, an, an event or, you know, some kind of maybe like a physical challenge or like an academic kind of course, just because you think you can't do it. Like give, give yourself a chance to, to kind of prove that. Don't, don't rule yourself out before it's even began. we doing out there folks this is your host with the most kenny vaughn and we are back with the dynamic trio what's up everybody it is sophia i also play for team breakline and thank you guys for joining us for another episode in the arena we are here once again with our amazing ceo bethany thank you kenny and soap for having me back uh hi everybody this is bethany i play for team breakline i am so happy to be here as we kick things off, we would love to shout out one of our beautiful and faithful listeners, Natasha. She left us a five-star review. Five it stars. Says, five stars. Thanks a lot, Natasha. She said, this podcast is such a breath of fresh air. It's fun and informative, and the guest speakers are authentic, vulnerable, and inspiring. Highly recommend two exclamation points. Thank oh. you so much, Natasha. We appreciate you. Natasha, thanks for all the love. Yes, and if you would like to be featured on next week's episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts, rate, leave a review. It really does help our show tremendously. So now that we've got a chance to get all the warm and fuzzies, all the great vibes, I know we're here to talk to one of our Brickline alums, Vicki Langston. I am super excited to intro this conversation. But before we do, Sophia, would you mind giving us a little bit of additional context into DeepMind? Who are they? What do they do? Yes, so Vicki is one of our wonderful Breakline alums, and she has landed at DeepMind Technologies. DeepMind is this British AI company, and they were acquired by Google back in um, 2014. And so the really cool story behind DeepMind Technologies is that they built this AI program called AlphaGo, and it actually beat the world champion in Go, which is this super complex strategy board game. It's pretty comparable to chess. But anyways, this was a massive deal, and Vicky joined the DeepMind team right after this has happened. So she really delves into what that experience was like and really what it felt like to be at a company that had just achieved such a massive feat. Yeah, so Sophia, I absolutely love that inside scoop on DeepMind. Bethany would love any thoughts or insight that you have on Vicky before we dive into this amazing story. Well, Kenny, I'm just so delighted that you decided to spotlight Vicky. She she came through Breakline. I think she was in our very first year of running Breakline programs. And 
She is such an amazing woman. She's a British army officer. She deployed multiple times. She deployed to Afghanistan. She also deployed to Nigeria. So just, you know, a really wonderful example of bravery and integrity and service to others and, and a very mission-oriented mindset that I find incredibly inspiring. Another thing about Vicky that is just, you know, so admirable is she is an incredible athlete. And while she came through the Breakline program, she was training for the Sahara Marathon. This is a six-day ultra marathon which is approximately the distance of six regular marathons. And she went after it and she completed it. And so we're talking about an extraordinary person, someone who cares about the world around her, who sees um, herself as um, someone who can make that world better and has a responsibility to do so. And I just find her endlessly inspiring. So I'm so glad that our community will be able to hear part of her story through the Breakline Arena. I'm not sure about you all, uh, but I think it may be time to give these listeners what they came here for. What do y'all think? Let's head on over. I say heck to the yes. We will see you guys in the Breakline Arena. See you there. Vicki, how you doing this morning? It's good to see you. Well, I guess it's not morning where you at. How you doing this evening <laughs> nice. across the pond? I'm good. We're good across the pond. It's a bit rainy as usual, but uh, it's great to see you again, Kenny. Um, I feel very honored to kind of uh, to have this opportunity to talk to you today. Okay, so can you share with our listeners where where you are currently? Yeah, of course. So I am uh, at the moment. Um, I am a senior program manager at uh, a company called DeepMind. For those of you who don't know it, so DeepMind is an artificial intelligence research company that is owned by Alphabet. Okay, okay. Now, you know I definitely want to unpack a little bit more of, uh, of, of DeepMind here a little bit later in our uh-huh. conversation. But before we do, I would love to hear if you could share a little bit more about your origin story. I know you come from uh, a little bit of a smaller city, if I remember correctly, in the UK. So can you share a little bit about your childhood? Yeah, uh, absolutely happy to. Um, I always love hearing other people's stories about this stuff as well. I find it very interesting <laughs> where people are from. Yeah, so I grew up um, kind of, I, I guess I had quite a normal childhood. I grew up in like the middle of England near a place called Worcester, uh, which some of your kind of listeners might know uh, from Worcester, the, the famous Worcester sauce, okay. uh, which obviously goes very well with certain foods. And um, I grew up there, I had quite, um, you know, an idyllic childhood, you know, playing with friends and um, you know, kind of nothing too ambitious. And then when I, I really enjoyed school, um, I guess I was kind of like the classic nerd in that regard. All I wanted was uh, homework and uh, lockers. I remember when I hit high school. But then, yeah, when I when I finished um, school, I, I then went to, I was the first in my family actually to go to university. I went to Manchester University uh, to study psychology and neuroscience. And I had big ideas in my head right then that I was going to be this like famous scientist um, or hopefully kind of, you know, do something kind of really meaningful within research. Um, but I quickly discovered during my degree that I was actually quite terrible at like practical lab based type stuff. So I quickly realized that maybe a career in science kind of wasn't possibly something that was going to be like available to me. 
I don't think I would have done anything as amazing as the kind of the COVID vaccine, what current kind of current researchers have kind of discovered. But yeah, so uh, from that then, I actually went to go and work after I graduated. I went to go and work at um, a research kind of department, which focused more around like psychology research down in London uh, called the King Centre for Military Health Research. They do some great stuff there. They're still going. And I worked there for about three years, actually, uh, kind of learning and kind of really kind of working on some quite interesting kind of psychological health projects. I met some incredible people there. And then kind of from that, then I guess I pivoted to the army, which might seem like a bit of a crazy kind of change. But to me, it seems I think at the time made complete sense. But I guess that's kind of like, yeah, kind of like leading up to the army and, and a bit about my childhood. I was definitely a tomboy growing up, though. I love climbing trees and I guess kind of like adventuring as much as I could. So there's so many things that I'd like to run back in slow motion about what you just got done sharing. Did you did you mention that you were the first from your family to go to university? Yeah, I, yeah, I was actually. It was, I don't think it was ever something that was expected of me growing up, but I really had a curiosity to, I think, learn and just understand things. And it seemed at the time that, you going to university was the right the right way to kind of pursue that further. My parents were really supportive. I think, unlike the US, I think uh, the UK is still a very expensive kind of, uh, you know, tertiary education is still really, really expensive, but no way near as big as it is in the US. But yeah, I felt like despite kind of maybe some of the downsides of, you know, going into onto education, like the cost and, you know, and kind of being away from family and friends, I felt like it was it was right for me. And it's something that I wanted to pursue. I was really excited about kind of the scientific like discovery component of it. I went to do a science degree and I absolutely loved it. It was right after the human, human genome had been discovered. And I just, I couldn't read enough about kind of how they'd, that scientific process and discovery. I found it fascinating. So I, I think this is just so intriguing. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you a little bit more about is can you share some more insight into your parents and, and what they did for a living and what it was that inspired you to want to pursue um, this course of higher education? Yeah, so I think my parents are like amazing kind of humble people. They, I think there's very much kind of those values, like don't ever ask someone something that you can't do yourself. And they were always kind of very giving and quite generous. They never... I think, unlike maybe some parents, they never really pushed me to be in any particular direction. They both worked. My mom was a like a registrar, um, you know, dealing with like births, deaths, and marriages. My dad actually worked as cabin crew for an airline company. So kind of, you know, not particularly, you know, they 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 did their jobs so they could put food on the table and you know pay for the mortgage and things like that. But they weren't necessarily callings per se, um, in the sense of you know what some kind of other parents had, but. They always just encouraged me really just to kind of like pursue what I wanted to. They never passed judgment. They never pressured me to do anything that I didn't want to do. And I guess that I know for like maybe for some for some kids, maybe they, they would have found that like too sprawling. But for me, I guess that was a perfect kind of mix of kind of, you know, encouragement. And it it really just set me on my path, like wanting to, you know, like contribute, I think, and, and make a difference and yeah, I think ultimately, guess I guess explore. So I really love just hearing about this supportive environment, but yet not pressure inducing. 
because I know a lot yeah. of times, you know, people from different backgrounds can just have this really like this stigma around how you define success, the, the type of careers and the roles that you can pursue. And it didn't sound like that was necessarily the case in your childhood. And one of the things that I would be more curious to hear about is what do you think was one of the biggest insights or lessons learned that you took away from um, just your upbringing or just growing up in the community that you did? I, I know you mentioned Worcester. Did I say that correct? Worcester? I got to work <laughs> on that. I got to work on it. I got to work on it. It's a bit of a tongue twister. I think. Uh, yeah, Worcestershire. You almost got it, though. Uh, but could you share some of the insights that you took away from from growing up where you did? Yeah, I think I, I grew up in a really small town that wasn't kind of particularly, I'd say, like diverse or, you know, where there were kind of like huge mixes of kind of like, you know, cultural diversity in that regard. It was kind of very, I mean, we're talking like the mid 80s, like it was kind of, I grew up in like a really small town, you know, if people went away like once once a year, that was like a big deal, you know, and they talk about their holiday for, for the rest of the year. But it was for all of that kind of um, maybe those downsides, there was there was the, the point around that I think the community was very much there to support you. And, you know, whichever kind of direction you turned, I think there was always kind of help there. And I think the, the biggest two lessons that I learned, I think perhaps from my childhood was the one that hard work pays off. If you put your mind to anything, you know, you really can succeed. And I think I still hold that to mind now. But also the second kind of one is make sure that you kind of pay it forward as well, like wherever you can, make sure you give back as well. So one of the things I love about your story is you have a tremendous amount of humility. And we're going to get back to this here in a second, but you leave this small town and you end up um, going to some very prestigious universities, University of Manchester, King's College. For those of y'all who don't know about King's College, you can do some research. It, it, it ain't a half bad place to get an education, I'll tell you that. Can you tell us what it was like just experiencing that contrast from going from a small city to now being in Manchester, being in London? What was that experience like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I'm sure kind of some of the Breakline alumni would definitely appreciate this as well. But I, you know, I was a very small fish in a big pond. And I think going, you know, to those universities really opened my eyes more around the fact that I knew us a very small part of a much bigger piece of puzzle. And I just, I, I was absolutely fascinated by you know, the different kind of cultures and opportunities. Like there was stuff there that I kind of, I don't think I'd ever dreamt of. Um, and, you know, the opportunity to go to university and be away from home really opened kind of my eyes to kind of all of that, which I don't think I would have kind of experienced in the same way. It also grounded some of the truths I think that I'd learned in my childhood as well. You know, the point around be, be kind, pay it forward, but also kind of, um, you know, work hard. And that they all kind of like resonated still, but I just felt, yeah, that my world just kind of like hugely widened from that experience at Manchester. And I don't, I actually don't think I ever looked back. I think that was a, when I think about significant points in my life, I think maybe attending university was definitely one of them. So I love how you bring these truisms 
from your childhood into these bigger spaces. And I think to your point, being that, you know, that fish in a, in a much bigger sea now, can you share a little yeah. bit about some of the experiences that you had at some of these, these institutions? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I think one of the earliest memories that I have was in a, like a tutorial session, which for those uh, people who aren't aware, it's like a really small session of, of around like maybe seven or eight people. And you go, you go into depth with like a university member of staff, like a professor or something like that. And you talk about something in more detail. And I remember being sat in one of those in my first year, in my first term, and just kind of talking um, around uh, kind of some specific like psychology terms. I think the one uh, that I remember the most was theory of mind. And so theory of mind for people that don't know, this is all around like how you uh, can see someone else's perspective and whether or not you can put yourself in their shoes ultimately to understand or see kind of what they can see. It's quite a famous uh, psychological test that uh, that is kind of done in early, early kind of childhood. But I just remember being sat in that session feeling, you know, that I'd done my homework and I knew what I was talking about. And then just all these other people around me just kind of like bringing up all these ideas and suggestions that I'd never even thought of. And I was you know, it was like, holy moly, you know, what, you know, how on earth, you know, can I, you know, incorporate all of this? And, you know, it, I think it, I, it made you kind of feel very much out of your depth, but it was something that I got kind of more and more used to, I think, when I was there. Um, and I also remember getting my first assignment back. And now, you know, I don't know about kind of you, uh, Kenny, but like probably the written language in terms of English has never been my forte. Like I am not the strongest person. I can second you on that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we joined the military. <laughs> but um, I think, yeah, I remember getting my first essay back and it was just covered in red kind of marks and ink. And I remember that just like feeling absolutely crestfallen that, you know, something that I'd spent quite a long time over and I thought was quite good actually came back and they were like, actually, and it was really helpful feedback. You know, it was kind of like it was really encouraged me to like think a bit more about what I was writing. And, you know, does this make sense? You know, are you arguing your point clearly? You know, that critical thought piece. Yeah. And that was those are the two biggest things that I definitely remember in my early days at university. Mm, so I think we can all relate to that red, red <laughs> ink paper moment. And it's it's so cool that you share that because I think one of the themes or one of the challenges that I've heard a lot of our breakliners speak about is just having to deal with having to struggle with imposter syndrome sometimes. Is this something that you experienced when you were navigating these spaces? And if so, would you mind giving a little insight as to how you continue to move forward in spite of some of those challenges? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I was, I was thinking a bit about this actually before we, we came on the call. And I think imposter syndrome is definitely has been like a prevalent feature kind of my entire life. And I think it's particularly for like people like you and I, you know, that kind of that want to challenge themselves and feel like you're learning and, you know, being curious and discovering new things. That kind of that actual process just makes you feel that kind of whole imposter syndrome so much more as well. I think I've maybe, I'm still not great at it. I definitely still feel it and I recognize it in myself more now. But in, I think those early days, like particularly going to university, like not feeling, you know, smart enough 
or kind of capable enough to kind of be there and and be successful in it I think I think in part it's kind of that the experiences of you know if you if you back yourself and trust yourself and keep keep up the work and keep going like generally actually you prove yourself wrong in that regard like you know there's still things that happen today where I'm like I don't know what I'm doing like I don't understand kind of what to do in this situation and actually you come out the other side and be like okay that actually went quite well and I think you just you become better and better with it kind of over time and it's just it's just a give like trust yourself and back yourself in those in those early situations and don't be afraid to put yourself out of your comfort zone like I think for the most part like people will be very pleasantly surprised you know about actually that you are like humans are very capable adaptable individuals you know if you recognize something and you want something then you can absolutely go for it and equally kind of I guess with regards to failures as well like the most on on the occasions where I would definitely consider myself as failing I probably learned the most in my kind of life you know maybe where something hasn't gone to plan or you know going for something hasn't kind of worked out the way I have and I think that all feeds into that kind of backing yourself and and that feeling like you have that credibility it makes the imposter syndrome go away a little bit I think I love that perspective I really love that perspective and I think it's it's a timely message because I think to your point you know the genesis of all this is the pursuit of challenging things and stretching ourselves Mm -hmm. and going after aspirational goals I think that's a natural part of that process so to hear you just unpack it in the way in which you did I really love that insight and it it leads me to the next question that I wanted to to ask you which is how did you end up in the British military we got to hear about this can you can you bring that all the way back for us (laughs) yeah I can I can try um it still makes me chuckle kind of how I made that decision. So if I take a step back, so I think I talked a bit about, you know, my, you know, my childhood going to university and I, I then worked in King's College uh, for a short while. And it was great, you know, I was learning, you know, I was doing cool stuff and I was working with a really awesome team, but I don't know, I felt like there was something missing. And I'd been at King's College for, for a number of years. And then I kind of, in, in 2008, I kind of decided that I wanted something more. And I didn't quite know what that was. So I did I did some research around like different areas and things like that. For the record, I don't have any military history in my family, apart from my grandparents, which I think across a lot of Europe at the time, you know, lots of people have their grandparents were in the military at that time. But, you know, there was no kind of close, like, you know, my parents certainly had never experienced the military. In fact, I think the one piece of advice that my dad gave me was don't join the military. <laughs> But I kind of, you know, I looked kind of around a little bit more and I just, I knew that I wanted this like sense of adventure and to challenge myself. And I wanted this, um, I wanted to experience kind of a sense of excitement, but also, you know, have that positive impact beyond myself and and to kind of experience like a kinship with people that I just, I, I think I don't think I was really feeling in like civilian life at the time. And you know, from one trip to the careers office, um, where I started talking to a couple of people, you know, I found myself like quite quickly, actually, maybe six months or so, stood, you know, at the gate of kind of Santos, which is our military academy, you know, about to embark on a, a 12 month training course to join the, the British Army. Um, 
I was I was really scared. You know, I was worried that I was not good enough again. That imposter syndrome definitely crept up there. But but yeah, again, I think it's like out of the three top, you know, you know, points in my life about maybe what what's shaped me. I think maybe joining the military was definitely number two away from joining the going to university. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. So for those of you who might not know, uh, Sandhurst, oh my goodness, I went to West Point and every year the Sandhurst Academy would come compete. And when I say these young men and women were top notch, oh my goodness, I mean, I was like, wow, I did not know that's how they got down across the pond. So this is not, this is not a small <laughs> feat that you're talking about here. And you know, I want to go back to this conversation with your father because yeah. a theme that I am hearing and noticing in our conversation is this ability that you have to overcome the gravitational pull of what's been previously done. You know, you mentioned you were the first to go to university, you were the first to join the military, and would love to hear more about what empowered you to make that bold leap to step into service. So ju just for the record, I want to say that I don't, my, like I said, my parents never really told me what to do or that I couldn't do something. I just felt like, I think my dad felt I had other options at the time that were, that were maybe more appealing than kind of the military. And obviously at the time, you know, we had a, a number of kind of conflicts ongoing that the UK were also involved with, um, like including Iraq and Afghanistan. And I think, you know, it's a natural thing, I think, for parents to kind of worry in that regard. But I really, I think that kind of to that point of overcoming, I think one of the things that I've always thought about, and one of the things that I talk a lot uh, when I think about kind of my team and stuff is, you know, what what is the, the worst, if you go and do something and you don't succeed, what is the, you know, what, what is the worst that can happen? You know, you don't succeed. Okay. We just go and do something else. It's kind of, it's that thought around, like, don't, don't deselect yourself before you've even given the opportunity to, to give it a go. You know, don't rule yourself out of a job or, you know, an, an event or, you know, some kind of maybe like a physical challenge or like an academic kind of course just because you think you can't do it, like give, give yourself a chance to, to kind of prove that. Don't, don't rule yourself out before it's even began. And I think, I think that was kind of the, the thought and the mindset going into the military. You know, I knew I was, I've always been like very, like I love, you know, exercise and kind of the outdoors. And I knew that I could, you know, if I tried really hard, I worked hard and I stayed humble. And I was curious that I could, I could probably get through. So, it was a case of, I think it was a case of more of, you know, give yourself a chance, see what happens, as opposed to, you know, this isn't right for you, if that makes sense. Mm. You say you can't be afraid to take your shot. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And if it's okay with you, I would love to hear any insight that you'd be willing to share about your military career. I know you have done a wider range of things in service, um, multiple deployments, one to Afghanistan, one to Nigeria, in response to Boko Haram of all things. 
would love any insights that you could share regarding your military service. Sure thing. So I was in the military for eight years. So you spend a year training at Sandhurst. And then and then the, the, the UK model is that you go and do some like trade specific training. So whichever kind of arm or kind of part of the army that you join. And then you go and join like the field army and serve that purpose. So I, just for context, I decided that I wanted to join the Royal Signals. So they kind of very much focus around like communications kind of combined with intelligence. And I found like the technical component of that really interesting. I wasn't kind of very technical at the time, but I figured again, like if I worked hard enough and I tried, then hopefully we could make that work. And so, yeah, so I joined the Royal Signals and so after my kind of basic training, I joined, I joined a unit that focused on uh, electronic warfare. And, uh, and with that unit as well, I kind of, I deployed uh, to Afghanistan. And I think, I think still to this day, like I think back to, to that time in Afghanistan. And I think for so many reasons, it taught me, you know, so many things, uh, particularly around like resilience and, and determination and courage. The, uh, my squadron that I went with were absolutely incredible. And we did some some really kind of, you know, kind of quite revolutionary work out there in terms of like capabilities and things like that. And so I think kind of being on that that front line and doing the job that I trained to do was, I think, really kind of brought it home to me kind of in Afghanistan. Joining the military, it just opened up so many opportunities, not only to see the world and maybe places that you otherwise wouldn't experience or cultures that you've never experienced. But it, I think it also really gave me a sense of purpose in terms of like hopefully kind of going to these these places and trying to to make things like better, I guess, for like the people and the communities. So in a lot of the sense, in terms of a lot of the things I was doing, a lot of it was kind of around, um, you know, defence engagement with local uh, local kind of nationals and kind of forces but there was also like a much wider education piece there as well it's probably not wise for me maybe to, to talk too much around um the work we did in Nigeria but it was it was a coalition and I think maybe comparing my time spent there perhaps to from when I was in Afghanistan you know it's kind of maybe you saw similar issues but just the landscape was so different in terms of the you know the level of support that you had and you know the the number of you know kind of people that were directly working on the problem and I, I I found I find like just the cultural nuances of like going to these different places were, were just was just absolutely fascinating and it I think it really it really taught me that you can't ever underestimate a problem by taking it at face value you have to really you have to really want to get to know it and be willing, be willing to kind of test theories and, you know, make mistakes and kind of learn from them. I felt, so deploying to Nigeria actually came towards the end of my military career. And I thought it was a great way to put into practice some of the, the wider lessons and the education that I'd taken from earlier. And just, I think it just really, yeah, it really taught me, I think that a lot of the work that in particular what the the armed forces do and and the military specifically is it always comes in conjunction with other things so it, it it very rarely operates exclusively on its own and those kind of wider pieces around collaboration 
and kind of supporting you know maybe other departments or you know other areas of industry is absolutely vital in achieving that success but I look I look back on my military days with a a really high degree of, of fondness I loved it 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 really made me who I am today I'm very proud to have been in the military I think when I left and I know that some of my friends kind of feel that you know, I, I felt like when I felt ready to leave when I did, I wanted to go and experience something new and try something else. But actually, that adjustment kind of after the military, I, you know, was quite tough. But I always look back on my military days with a bit of nostalgia. And I think I can't remember the um, the quote, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And that and that really resonates with me from my time in the military. Like it really, I think particularly, you know, with you know, the COVID kind of pandemic kind of backdrop right now, it really taught me like how to be a resilient person and to, to keep going in adversity. Yeah, and I think they're, they're just two absolutely vital lessons that I think I would t- definitely take forward for the rest of my life. Now, I know for many of our listeners, uh, they, they have either served or have experience with family members who have served yeah. in the military. For those of our listeners who don't come from a military background, can you just share um, you know, some additional insight as to how you gained this sense of resiliency? What were these some of the forging experiences that you had um, during the time of your military service? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, but that's a kind of an excellent point, Kenny. Um, I don't think that, that this is just around, you know, serving or kind of military members or vet- veterans. It's that whole like family unit and kind of that support network. And I think that can be kind of related across lots of different kind of avenues, like emergency services. And, you know, I think anyone that's in that that kind of role of you know, where you kind of deal in quite extreme circumstances and, and having to react. I think there were, there were a couple of things um, that happened while I was kind of serving. Um, I lost a couple of like quite close people during my kind of tenure in the military, um, including actually my staff sergeant when I was a troop commander. So that's when you're kind of, I think you're quite junior in your in your military career. And I think we we lost him as we were on a training exercise and it happened kind of away from exercise. Um, But I think in particular, when that happened, um, I remember standing up to my troop and telling them that he was no longer with us, that he'd passed away. Um, And I could, I knew that, you know, I had to be there for them and you have to lead by example and, you know, set the, and set the standard. But when I was talking to them, I could feel my eyes welling up and my voice cracking. And, to this day, I kind of always wonder, like, you know, maybe whether I should have perhaps, you know, waited or maybe dealt with that situation in a different way. But actually, I think it almost delivered exactly what the what the the kind of the team needed at the time. It was showing that, you know, a genuine human compassion, like showing them that I was also human and I was kind of reacting to it at the same time. But also to more to the point that they could come and talk to me about this because I was I was going through it as well. I was experiencing it. I wasn't immune. And I think that that kind of that that single event actually kind of standing up and talking to them after, you know, after we'd found out that he'd he'd passed. And um, it really bonded us together before we went um 
away to Afghanistan. I think you kind of, you bear, you kind of almost like mentally kind of prepare yourself for these things to happen when you're away or, you know, kind of deployed in, in an environment, but you don't ever expect them to happen away from that, you know, kind of when you're back at home and, and amongst uh, kind of familiar settings. And I think kind of that incident for me really took me kind of off guard, but it really taught me that resilience component in terms of, you know, relying, like talking to others, relying, relying on support, taking those offers of support when you have them, but also giving yourself that opportunity just to process things, you know, as and when they come. I think people experience grief in, in lots and lots of different ways, and there's no right or wrong way in terms of how you're dealing with that. And, you know, reach, feel that you can reach out for support as and when you need it, but, but equally, don't, don't, give yourself like a date in your mind about when you should feel like, you know, you're ready to get over something, you know, these things take time and, you know, and talking about it and processing it in that way is kind of really, really helpful. But, but for, I think for anyone, especially including, you know, family members and things like that, people should never feel that they're on their own. They should kind of always reach out for, for support and help if they, if they need it. Mm. So first I just, um, I'm sorry for your loss. And I think as you think about the definition of leadership, Mm. um, those are the moments where I think you feel that, I don't want to say burden, but a responsibility. Absolutely. That's probably the word I was looking for. Responsibility to be strong um, and for you to show the vulnerability mm. that you shared in front of your soldiers, I can only imagine how difficult that situation or that, that moment must have been and the resiliency that you were able to, to carry forward, uh, moving forward from that experience. So I just want to thank you for sharing that. And I think I really just loved how you extended that service and that leadership to people even outside the military, mm. you know, I think, especially as we think about these times, um, some of those first line responders who yeah. are out there dealing with trauma, uh, dealing with loss every single day, uh, and the mental and emotional toll that that can take. So just thank you for sharing that and giving us some insight into some of those forging experiences that you had. Would love to hear about how you entered this next chapter. I know you're a Breakline alum now, so I got to oh, hear how you entered into this next chapter and if you could share a little more about your Breakline experience. Of, of course, I'm more than happy to. I I think I probably owe more to Bethany and the Breakline team than probably what I can convey during this podcast. Um, so I was more than happy to to kind of step in and, and share my experience kind of uh, with you today, Kenny. And I think, um, yeah, so I, I attended Breakline way back in 2017. Um, it was after the, the first pilot that Bethany and Ronnie had, had ran in, in San Francisco. And I heard about it on a, on a, a Facebook group um, that, that was kind of, uh, that was set up for um, milit- female military officers um, that were either in the process of kind of leaving or that had already left. And they, they share amazing bits of advice kind of on there. Like any 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 world problem that you have, like they pretty much they could solve. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure if you gave, <laughs> if you gave that group kind of the, 
the the challenge of kind of climate or world peace i'm pretty sure they could solve that as well so maybe maybe we should I give love uh, them that option yeah they're an incredible <laughs> bunch of women they're called the santa sisterhood for anyone um who who is listening in the uk and they're not uh, a member on that group and and i i remember reading a post i think it was actually while i was in nigeria from uh one of uh break lines former um alumni called rachel stockton um who was on the the pilot for um for breakline and she just kind of wrote this really compelling like exciting entry just like i've been on this amazing course in the us like learning about you know the technology industry and kind of the wider opportunities that could be available for um you know people when they leave the military and i remember just reading it and thinking oh my goodness you know this is this is what i've been waiting for because i knew at that point i was leaving the military and i think still to this day there's some amazing courses now that are run in the uk particularly around veterans especially if you're not interested in maybe the more like well-trodden paths like financial services or consultancy um but there's but there's still nothing quite like breakline i don't think in the uk so i packed up all my bags in 2017 um after leaving the military and i headed over to san francisco for a month to to hang out with with Rani and Bethany for the best part of I think about a month um and maybe a bit longer and I just learned so much in that time I met some incredible people as well and just you know I I think on multiple times my brain just exploded just from the sheer amount of information and inspiration I was getting on a daily basis <laughs> Um, if anyone is can listening, I, can I give you a quick? Can I give you a quick shout out? <laughs> yeah. Can I give you a quick shout? Out? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Because some of our, I gotta provide a little additional context <laughs> for some of our current <laughs> listeners because I know the breakline education that exists now is a little bit different than the one that existed that when true. you came through. We're all virtual right now. Yeah. You took a you took a leap. Oh, I mean, you yeah. said you were coming from UK to San yeah. Francisco for a month to do the program in person. So I absolutely just love. <laughs> hearing from some of our original breakliners because just that leap of faith that you took to see an opportunity uh, and say, yeah. I want to pursue it vigorously. I want to pursue it wholeheartedly. Yeah. And then to make that leap, but what were you thinking on the flight over? Like, you know, I got to keep, when you were flying from the UK to San Francisco, what was going on in your mind at that time? Oh my goodness. So there was a range of different, I, Firstly, I was just so excited that, you know, all my like pestering and badgering of Bethany over the months had paid off. You know, the poor lady, like I messaged her so many times, like, Bethany, can I please come on your course? Like, I promise I'll be an asset. Um, you know, and she and she gave me that chance. Um, and, you know, I yeah, I was so excited and just so kind of ready for this next step. I'd looked at lots of different options, you know, in terms of like where to go next, but none of them had really ever felt right. And kind of I landed on this and I just, it was, I did feel like it was a risky thing to do, but you know, I used, you know, it was a, like a fair bit of money, like coming to San Francisco and, you know, it was kind of time when I could have otherwise been job searching, but I just felt it was like an amazing opportunity to take. So definitely the excitement and maybe a bit of trepidation, like just, I guess, the, the unknown again, you know, that kind of um, that kind of maybe imposter syndrome again, but I just got there and I, I didn't look back. The group were amazing. I think I made friends for life on that course. I'm going to give a big shout out to Zane, um, who I, is an absolute superstar. Um, and also Jess Agnew, who's on my course at the time as well, who I know she's very close to the, the Breitline team still. 
and it was just phenomenal. While I was over there as well, I was also training for a ultra marathon. So, so during the weekends and stuff, I used to head out into the, you know, the the hills um, over in Marin, and yeah, it was it was incredible. But yeah, I loved I loved my I loved my four four weeks over there on the Breitline course. It was. It was it was so much more than I think what I ever could have realised. Yeah, I mean it, it it put me pretty much set me up for where I am today. I have absolutely no shadow of a doubt in that. So I love I love hearing some of your superpowers come out because I <laughs> you know like I said the humility is a theme in the breakline community, but love hearing some of the superpowers. You're like yeah you know I'm doing this career pivot and I'm training for ultra marathon you know no big deal so. <laughs> really love hearing this insight. And as someone who has the privilege of working with Zane, I can wholeheartedly attest that he is still, uh, he is still excellent uh, <laughs> at, at what he does. And so talk to us about DeepMind. Um, would love to hear more about your role, um, you know, how you ended up falling in love with the company and um, any, any particular insights that you would be able to share um, about your work. Sure thing. So, um, so maybe if I start, actually, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how I found out about DeepMind because, you know, back in 2017, they were a much smaller, I think, organization than they are now. So I actually stumbled across their website when we were doing some homework for Breakline, actually, one evening. Um, and I remember, I, was, I remember thinking kind of when I was over in Breakline, thinking all these amazing companies and you know, businesses are all in the US, I'm going to have to move to the US because there's nothing exciting going on in the UK. Uh, so to pursue my technology career and my next phase of my life, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to kind of pack my bags and, uh, and, and head over to the US full time. Um, and when I was actually on the break line course, you know, doing this kind of research about the type of roles and things that I was interested in, I stumbled on the DeepMind website. And I remember reading the first page and I remember the excitement kind of seeing it thinking, oh my goodness, this is, this is literally everything I could have dreamed of and more. And it was kind of, you know, it's, so for, for those people that haven't heard about DeepMind or the work that we do, it's, it's an artificial, artificial intelligence research organization that has very kind of ambitious goals um, to solve intelligence and then use that to, to solve everything else including hopefully some of the, the more kind of, you know, ambitious, challenging, kind of scientific uh, challenges of, of kind of the day. And they use um, kind of back, back then, you know, there was very much kind of a big emphasis in the company about using a neuroscience inspired approach to AI. So, you know, how can we take inspiration from the human brain and maybe think about like how we apply that in artificial intelligence? That isn't a particularly like revolutionary thing right now, because I think lots of companies use that style of approach. But back then, you know, DeepMind really stood out as a forerunner in terms of, you know, this approach. And my, my original degree was in neuroscience. I didn't know very much about artificial intelligence, but, you know, I, I definitely heard from Breakline that it was this new emerging thing. And I was really excited in hearing more about it. And then especially the potential benefits. And so, through, through Rani and Bethany, I managed to get a contact of, a, of one of the recruiting team who, who was in uh, DeepMind at the time. And, you know, they, I, you know, I think they weren't, they weren't necessarily involved in kind of like the, the recruiting process from there, but they got my foot in, you know, where I, maybe I wouldn't have, 
I think I maybe would have a bit of that self-doubt would have come in or maybe, you know, that may not have happened kind of otherwise. But, you know, they really kind of championed me and kind of made sure, you know, at least I could speak to a recruiter and hear more. And after that kind of initial conversation, uh, speaking to a recruiter, they were, we kind of explored a couple of different roles that may have suited my skill set. And one of those that we focused on in particular was around program management. Now, program management at DeepMind is a slightly different thing than perhaps you would see in in kind of industry or kind of other other areas um, of, of, of work. And program management at DeepMind is a real kind of mixture and combination about working uh, with incredibly high performing teams and enabling them to get the very best from working together. It's also about uh, planning, leading and executing very complicated, perhaps you know, multidisciplinary projects. And that can be maybe within research or also kind of organizationally. But it's also around this domain expertise. Like they didn't expect me to have a computer science degree, but having that curiosity to learn and be interested in the science and the technology behind it certainly helped. Um, and those were the kind of the three kind of pillars almost that they were, they were kind of exploring in the program management uh, kind of role. And I went through... Um, a lot of interview rounds. I did it with a couple of companies. So I think I, I realized that they weren't any different in that. I mean, it was like definitely more than 10. I'm not going to disclose a real number on this. Um, <laughs> we, have got a bottom, we have got a lot better in that process. But it was really that that interview process was really much um, an opportunity for me to understand what the role was about and what, and what DeepMind was about, as well as them understanding about me. And I really appreciated that. And they actually, they gave me uh, feedback as well along the way, which I hadn't experienced with other companies. So they were giving me almost that chance to succeed and they wanted me to, to kind of succeed and, you know, really show my best, my best light. And so against all odds, I ended up, they, they gave me a role, which I was absolutely thrilled about. And I went to go and work um, as a program manager on the neuroscience team in DeepMind. And this was supporting quite a large team of researchers um, and engineers um, on their, their research kind of projects, which is really, really exciting. Lots of different opportunities um, and chances to collaborate. And since then, I've actually held a number of roles since then. So gone to different areas of the business, like where, where it's kind of, you know, I've been needed um, or kind of, you know, maybe where like particularly around like helping and setting up new teams and it's been it's been an absolutely like magical experience. I've learned so so much in that time. There's been there's a really big emphasis internally around education and learning. So I've been on a couple of coaching courses and um, you know learned kind of more on a technical basis as well about the type of research that we do. But also I feel like I've I've grown with the organisation as well in terms of. You know, um, when I when I first joined, it was actually after AlphaGo had been released, which was where um, the the DeepMind algorithm actually beat Lisa Dole, who is who was the world um, champion at Go at the time. I don't know if you've seen the movie, Kenny. So for so I'm very familiar with this story, <laughs> and for those okay. listeners who are not familiar with this story, I would encourage you to check it out because this is not only a fascinating story, but I think it is a fascinating feat in this field. So very cool that you were a part of this. I had no clue. Oh, 
Like, yeah, I joined after. I can take absolutely no credit for it. But I joined. <laughs> I joined in the aftermath, and just the energy around the company was absolutely electric. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Uh, yeah, and I remember watching the movie after I'd started, and and just feeling just so incredibly lucky and privileged mm. that they'd taken a chance on me. Yeah, and that's why four years later I'm still there. <sighs> So what I love about this story is it almost feels like a full circle moment where, you know, as you look at your undergrad experience, your experience as a researcher, then being able to go out, have these forging experiences in the military and then come full circle Mm. and bring it back and apply that skill set to an amazing organization. Really love just seeing that alignment of purpose and passion in the work that you're doing. Mm. And I think just from the outside looking in, I agree wholeheartedly that that's probably a, a very big contributing factor in the longevity and the happiness and fulfillment that you feel in this work. So thank you so much for sharing that with our listeners. And before we let you go, you know, I wouldn't mind asking you one last question. Depends what it is, Kenny, but go for it. Well, you know, I got to keep you on your toes now. Uh, <laughs> For our listeners who may be thinking about their own transition, who may be trying to figure out if they can make the pivot into the tech industry, what would be some of the words of encouragement that you would have for them as they're trying to navigate the next step in their professional career? That's a great question, Kenny. I'd be very happy to answer that uh, final question. Yeah, so thinking about that transition and that pivot, I think probably my biggest piece of advice to anyone that is making that that kind of leap is don't rule yourself out of any opportunity. You know, give it a go. You have nothing to lose uh, and you need to back yourself in this. It might seem quite scary and, you know, you might feel kind of like a very small fish in a very big pond, like when you're going out and speaking to all these different companies, but you will, you will find a place where you feel like you belong to the team and you have that, and you have that sense of, of kind of belonging. Yeah. Don't rule yourself out is the biggest thing. The second, I guess the other two points that I'd maybe suggest for people that are pivoting is to explore and, and don't be afraid to ask the stupid question there's no such thing as a stupid question I've definitely learned that and things that you may that you may feel that you that you're not interested in actually when you find out a bit more about you actually might find that it completely suits your skill set and what you're looking for so during Breakline I remember an amazing session that we had talking around sales you know and, and being like you know on a sales team you are ultimately at the beating heart of any growing business but yeah, don't be afraid in those early stages when you're making that pivot to explore and, and really and really understand the different roles and opportunities that are available to you. You may be surprised by what's available and kind of what really gets you excited further down the line. And then the last piece um, of kind of thinking about kind of that transition and making that pivot is no everyone that I that I met or I reached out to in the military severe for help or advice or support, always, always picked up the phone or replied to an email. 
it's an amazing amazing community of people that are willing to to help and be there and give support because they know what it was like when they transitioned and the only thing I'd probably say to people you know maybe when you're a couple of years on in your career and things like that is also to make sure that you pay it forward as well it's a really strong community outside of the military and that includes kind of family and friends that are kind of that are associated with that as well so make sure you use that kind of community support but also make sure that you pay it forward in the future and I think those would probably be my top three I hope all our listeners out there are taking copious notes because <laughs> Vicki Langston is dropping all the dimes today and <laughs> I just want to thank you first and foremost thank you for your service thank you for sharing your insights and your wisdom with our Breakline community and most importantly just thank you for being an inspiration it is always amazing getting a chance to hear the stories of our Breakline alums this was just such a treat to be a part of and on behalf of our entire community we just want to say thank you oh Kenny you're so welcome thank you so much for reaching out to me it's been an absolute pleasure yeah I really hope I've I've helped uh, people uh, going through that transition right now well, all right, folks, this has been another episode of the Breakline Arena. And I tell you what, if you enjoyed what you heard today, we just need you to do one of three things. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe. And if you really had yourself a good time, we'd love if you could leave us a review in the Apple podcast, because that helps us continue to get the word out and share some of these amazing stories So on behalf of the entire Breakline team, my name is Kenny Vaughn. I am signing out with Vicki Langston from the Breakline HQ, and we will see you all on the high ground. Take it easy, folks.